Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word this morning. Well, the Bible tells us a lot about uh, a reputation and the importance of having a, a good reputation. You know, I think when I was growing up, and, and certainly those of you who are, who are older than I am, uh, you're, you would probably remember your parents stressing how necessary it was to keep a good reputation and that uh, your reputation was something that was to be guarded and it was important to keep up that good reputation. I don't think people talk about that much anymore, uh, not in our day, and, and people aren't so concerned about their reputation. And in one way, that can be good. I mean, there's a sense in which maybe we can place too much emphasis on having a good name, but then if we're hypocrites, then it really doesn't matter how good your name is. But I think the Bible makes it clear that we should all strive to have a good reputation. For example, Proverbs 22:1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. When it talks about a, a good name, it's talking about our reputation. Well, we're reading here in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians, especially in these latter couple of verses, three verses, uh, about the reputation of the Thessalonians. Paul, of course, has, uh, is, a, is in Corinth at the moment when he's writing this letter. He had to leave Thessalonica very quickly because the opposition to Christianity uh, started a riot and, and Paul had to sneak out at night, and we'll read that in just a few moments and then as he went from Berea, uh, went to Berea the, to preach the gospel there, the next city over, the opponents from Thessalonica chased him down there and, and caused trouble in Berea as well. So Paul again moved on to Athens, but Silas and Timothy remained there in Berea and in Thessalonica. So by the time Paul got to Corinth, Paul and Tim, I mean Silas and Timothy came back to, to Paul and reported that indeed this young church, he was only there for a brief time, but he, he found out that they were still standing strong. The gospel that they heard, they embraced, and they were still uh, following the Lord. And he is so excited, and he's talking about how their reputation has gone out, and everybody's talking about it, especially in the, in the region of Macedonia and in Achaia. They're all talking about the Thessal- Thessalonians and what's happened to the Thessalonians. 
And he specifically mentions four things, and I want us to think about those four things as we think about our reputation. You know, the Thessalonians were known for the fact that they received the gospel. They were known for the fact that they had turned away from their idols, and they had also committed themselves to serve the true and living God. And also they were waiting for Jesus' return. So that's what was sounding forth. That's what people were talking about when they were talking about the Thessalonians and what had happened there. They received the gospel, they had turned from idols to God, and they were waiting for Jesus' return. And that's what they were known for. Now, as we think about our own reputation, and maybe not just our own individual reputation, but our reputation as a church, what do we want to be known for? Well, I, I would think these four things would be great things to be known for, as those people who had received the gospel, who were turning away from the idols of the day, who are committed to serving God and were anxiously waiting for the return of Christ and prepared for it. So I want to encourage you with that today as we think about these Thessalonians and, and what they were known for. What should we be known for? And, and how can we better emulate their example? Well, first of all, we see here that Paul talks about them receiving the gospel. You see there in verse 9, they themselves, that's the, the Macedonians and the Achaeans, they report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. The kind of reception we had among you. And what kind of reception did they give Paul and his companions when, when Paul and Silas and Timothy uh, came into Thessalonica? It tells us in Acts 17 that they, first of all, went to the synagogue. Uh, they went to the synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, that's three weeks in a row, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the de devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So you see what happened there. Uh, they went in and preached, and, and there was some success there. Some in the synagogue, some among the Greeks who lived there in Thessalonica. But what they, what they did when Paul and Silas came there was to, how they received them, was to listen to them. They eagerly listened to what Paul had to say. They weighed it out. They, they heard it, and they, they accepted it. Look up at verse 4 in 1 Thessalonians 1. We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So the Holy Spirit was working as Paul and Silas preached the gospel, and full conviction came. Full conviction. They were fully persuaded. 
You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. They received the word in much affliction. There were some very determined opponents in Thessalonica, as we see. Once Paul and Silas went to Berea, the opponents chased them there as well and, and stirred up the crowds there in Berea. So the people who remained in Thessalonica, that's what they faced on a day-to-day -day basis. Even though they had these staunch opponents uh, persecuting them, they held fast to the gospel. They, they did not give up. They received it with much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So how did they... How did they receive Paul and Silas? They received the message that Paul and Silas brought. They received it and embraced it. And that message was that this, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. He's the anointed one. He is the one sent by God to, as verse 10 say, to deliver us from the wrath to come. He is the one. And they received that. They took it seriously. When Paul was talking about the fact that God looked down upon sinful human beings and he sent his only son into the world because there's going to be a day of judgment, a day when we will all appear before the judgment seat of God. And Jesus Christ is the only one who can deliver you from the wrath that is to come. Now that's a very heavy message. And I'm sure it's a message that probably everybody here has heard. Uh, and probably you've heard it so many times that you don't really take it all that seriously as maybe you should. I know that that's a temptation for all of us. We, we kind of become inoculated to the gospel. You know what an inoculation is. You, uh, if you have an allergy to something, uh, the practice has been, I know when I was a child I had a lot of allergies, especially in springtime when the pollen was out. And, and to help you learn how to, your body to cope with those allergies, they give you a shot, and it's actually got some of what you're allergic to in there, so you can build up a resistance to it. Well, sometimes that happens with the gospel. You hear it, and you hear it, and you hear it, and maybe you just don't really listen to it, but, but then you get to the point where you're not really hearing it at all. Are we still hearing the gospel and taking it seriously? Are, are we still aware of the gravity of the situation? that there is a day of wrath coming and Jesus Christ has delivered us from that, we're free from that judgment day. We're free. He bore the punishment for us. We should be rejoicing in that and we should respond appropriately to that. Are we responding appropriately to that? Not just one time, not just I prayed a prayer one time in my life, but every day thinking about the implications of what Christ has done for you and how that should make a difference in the way that you live moment by moment. See, the Thessalonians, they, the Thessalonians had received that message with all seriousness. And even in the face of suffering, they knew that this was a very grave issue and they were willing to suffer to embrace this message and to live out the implications of it. A great example to, to us. And that was what their reputation was. They were people who received the gospel. Now it tells us how they responded. What, what was, they heard this news, because that's what the gospel is. The word gospel means good news. They heard the news and they responded. They turned away from idols and they turned to serve the living and true God. Let's look at those in turn. First, they turned away from idols. You see that there in verse 9. You turn to God from idols. 
Now, most of the Christians, as we learn from First and Second Thessalonians, most of the Christians there in Thessalonica were, were Greeks. They were Gentiles. And they would have been, just like the rest of the, the Greeks in their area, they would have been uh, people who worshipped multiple false gods. Probably some idol worship going on there, obviously, since he says it. Uh, they, they worshipped idols, they worshipped false gods, they were simply going along with the culture that they were in. That's what everyone did. They worshipped these gods. They were the gods of the Thessalonians and the gods of the surrounding areas. And it was the culture of the day. And it's exactly what uh, Reverend Downing was talking about last week, uh, especially in our uh, Sunday school class. He was talking about culture and the idols of culture and how we can without really thinking about it, go along with the culture at large. And, you know, our Christianity gets kind of watered down as we adopt the worldly ways. We may not bow down to false gods. We may not go to any particular temple uh, that uh, is erected for that purpose of worshiping false gods, but we can engage in idolatry just the same. Anything we value or serve or ascribe worth to above God, well, that's an idol. Anything to which we look for security, for guidance, or for peace before God, that's idolatry. The person who is not an idolater needs only God and nothing else. Think about that. What, what do you think about when you say, what, what makes my life worth living? What am I living for? What is, what is of ultimate importance to me? If it's not God, then you're an idolater. It's that simple. And we always have those things propping up in our lives, cropping up in our lives. Idols of the heart. John Calvin famously wrote in his institutes, uh, the human heart is an idol factory. We're always turning our attention away from God to, to other things to, to bring us peace, to bring us comfort, to bring us security, to bring us significance, to give glory to ourselves. Uh, we really are worshipers of ourselves in a lot of ways. But the culture around us encourages this kind of activity. The culture is constantly telling us we need all sorts of things and experiences to be fulfilled in life. And it never tells us that, that God is the one we need. It tells us we need the latest cell phone. It tells us we need uh, uh, the latest car. It tells us especially material goods. And we live in a, in a day when materialism is uh, a large part of the idolatry of our culture. I mean, look at Black Friday. I mean, the fact that we have a day called Black Friday where everybody goes shopping and people are beating each other up, you know, trying to grab TVs and things. You know, that shows that there's idolatry in our culture. You know how you find out what your idols are? What really makes you angry? What really makes you angry? When something is blocking you from getting that thing that you think you need for your life, if that, was, that will really make you angry, right? If you think that TV is what you need, well, by golly, you're going to get that TV and no one's going to stand in your way. And that's why people, they're idol, they're worshiping their idols when they do that. It could be TVs, it could be your family, it could be your job, it could be your success, your bank account, 
those things. When they're threatened, what really makes you angry, that reveals your idols. Somebody takes, tries to take God away from you, which they can't do, well, that should make us angry because that's the one thing we should worship above all others. Well, the Thessalonians, they had turned away from the ways of their culture. They had turned away from the idols of the day, from the false gods of the day, and they were worshiping and serving the, the true and the living God. They were bucking culture. I wonder, do we look any different from the world around us? The, Thessalon the Thessalonians did. Once they embraced Christ, once they heard the gospel and, and responded to it, they looked a lot different than the rest of the Thessalonians. They used to look like the Thessalonians, and now they don't look like the Thessalonians anymore. Do we look like the world around us? Can people look at us and tell that we're believers? Are we any different from anybody else in our culture? Well, there's two parts to that. They didn't just turn from idols. They turned from idols, thirdly, to serve the true and the living God, it tells us there at the end of verse 9. You're serving the living and true God, not a fake dead idol, but the living and the true God. If you look back at verse 3, it, it's, uh, it's a testimony there to how they were serving the Lord God. We remember before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. So see, they, they were committed to serving God and it was showing. It was showing in works of faith, works that sprung out of their faith in God. They were living it out in their daily lives. They, were, uh, they had a labor of love. They loved God, they loved others, and they worked for God and for others. And steadfastness of hope. They placed their hope squarely upon the Lord and even in the midst of trial and, and difficulty and suffering, they were steadfast. So see, they were committed to serving the Lord God. Are we? Are we? And how can we be more committed to serving the Lord God? I think if we ask ourselves that question, you know, we, we all can look at ourselves and say we fall short in so many ways in serving God. We would like to be known as a church, as individuals, if we're calling ourselves Christians, as those who serve God. I really was encouraged last weekend by uh, the conference that we had. And one thing that really struck me, and I can't remember exactly how Reverend Downing put it, but, but he encouraged us to, every day to, to spend time with the Lord, unhurried time with the Lord, and, and within that time to commit ourselves to the Lord, to say, Lord... How would you have me act today? What would you have me do? How can I serve you today? How can I serve you in my words? How can I serve you in my actions? How can I serve you with my attitudes? How can I serve you at work? How can I serve you in my family? How can I serve you as I drive down the road? How can I serve you as I interact with random people throughout my day? You know, if we prayed that prayer every morning, if we consciously thought about that and committed ourselves each day to serving the Lord, what a difference that would make, I believe. If we ask the Lord to show us how we can serve him, if we ask the Lord to help us in our jobs, in our families, to use our gifts and talents to serve him, I think that would make a big difference. 
if we said to the Lord, Lord, how can I use my gifts and my talents for you? How can I use my resources for you? How can I use my time? How can I use my money? How can I use my possessions for you? See, the Thessalonians were doing that. They, were, they had turned from idols and they were committed to serving God with everything they had. And, and Paul is ecstatic that he's finding out that that's exactly what's happening there. Even though he was there only a brief time, the Lord has done the work. The Lord is building his church and these people are faithfully serving God. Can that be said of us? If we were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? And that's the old illustration. You know, what evidence in your life do you see the works of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope? Well, I want to encourage you today to commit yourself to serving the Lord like the Thessalonians did. And what kind of reputation would we have if we did so? Well, fourthly, and just briefly, because we're going to uh, spend a lot of time in the book of Thessalonians talking about the Lord's return, but just briefly, the last thing Paul mentions is that these Thessalonians... Uh, it was known throughout Macedonia and Achaia, and Achaia that, that they were waiting for the Lord to return. They were looking eagerly for that day. They were not simply living for the moment, but they always had in view that ultimate hope that Christ is coming back. A, they were being prepared. You know, they were, they were making sure as the parable of the virgins, the ten virgins, the ones who had their lamps trimmed and burning. They were waiting for the return of the bridegroom. They were alert and awake and anticipating Christ's return, and they were living uh, in, uh, in response to that, in light of that truth, that Christ could come any time, and they were waiting for his return. They were grown apathetic to that truth, that Jesus is returning, and he could return any moment. But are we just living in the day? Are we just trying to get through the day? Are we, we are subjected to the tyranny of the urgent that comes into our lives. Have we really dwelt on the fact that there is a day coming when Christ will return? And it's a, it's a day of judgment for those who are unbelievers, but a day of deliverance for those who are his people. You know, I lo love how it says in another scripture, uh, there's a, there's a blessing that comes with those who love his appearing. Do we love his appearing? I remember when I was a teenager, I didn't love his appearing. I knew Jesus was returning, and we talked a lot about it, but I really wanted to get my driver's license before he came back. I think that's a bit of idolatry going on there, that that's more important to me than Christ. You know? And you got your driver's license, and then you just wanted to go to college. And then you wanted to finish college, and you wanted to get, you know, you want these things that are here and now. That's what we want more than Christ's return. Are we prepared for that day? That's what we need to take away here. There's a day of judgment. That, that's such a profound statement, that last phrase of, of verse 10. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. There's a day of wrath coming. Are we prepared for it? Have we turned from the idols of the world to serve the living and true God? Have we received the gospel message? And are we taking it seriously? And are we continuing to think through that and the implications it has for our lives? Well, we've talked about our reputation. And, of course, we want to be known as people, individuals who take the gospel seriously, who do turn from the idols of the culture around us and, 
who serve the living and true God and who are prepared for the return of Christ. But we want that as a church as well. You know, I think maybe in the past we've had some things happen in our church that has probably marred our reputation in the community. How do we turn that around? You know, I think it's, here's a blueprint for us to be people of the gospel, people who are not idolaters, people who are serving the true and living God, people who are anticipating the return of Christ. May the Lord work that into us as individuals and as a church. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that we would take seriously the gospel, that we would not be such idolaters as we tend to be, and that we would serve you instead of serving ourselves, which is often the case. And Lord, that we would have always in our mind's eye the fact that you are coming back and to live accordingly. Lord, we pray that you would help us, especially the first step, to take the gospel seriously and to really explore the implications that has for our life. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.